You're listening to the Sill Podcast Perspectives on Art and Technology with Peter Noche and Harry Posner. Episode 25, 2017 in Review Shock Culture Goes Viral. There must be some kind of way out of here. So, Harry, 2018 harkens as we review the past 12 months. Mm-hmm. To the shock of many, worldwide 2017 began with the inauguration of Tantrum tweeting Donald Trump. <laughs> and within weeks on the 12th of February... Another headline shocker had North Korea's Kim Jong-un ordering the launch of a ballistic missile over the Sea of Japan. Yeah. Is shock the new normal? But first, Harry. But first. I oh, that's good coffee. A sip of my Hockley Valley coffee. <laughs> mm. Oh, that's good coffee. Oh, that penetrates. That oh, penetrates. I had one this morning, as a matter of fact. Did thank, you? Thank you for the gift. And yes, it was delicious. When you grind those beans and you get that uh, aromatic... Yeah, especially when you add some rum chata to it. It really pumps it up. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. So I'm, yeah. I'm enjoying a cup now. Anyway, getting back to the podcast. We're talking about 2017, the highlights, and especially in terms of technology and arts and culture, basically. Mm-hmm. And would you like to start on the technological side of things? Well, smart speakers, for example, one technological development that really took off in 2017, like Alexa and Apple TV that you speak to, all these pieces of technology where you no longer have to type in anything, you just speak to the unit and it responds, it does searches for you, aligns itself with things like Siri. So speech recognition. So why do you think that's an important development? We've eliminated another process which we're accustomed to, which is texting or typing, looking for information in a certain way. Now you just have to open your mouth. Voice uh, commands, basically. Right, like Captain Picard saying, Earl Grey, hot. And the uh, computer gives him an Earl Grey. Exactly. Hmm. You can also have what they call intelligent assistance in the form of Siri, for example. You're familiar with Siri, right, Harry? Yeah, I am. Mm-hmm. I used it in Paris when we were traveling the city of Paris. Absolutely. What is the capital of uh, whatever? What, how far is it to Lazare Station, etc.? Right. Here's the interesting part that in 2017, the statistics are interesting. One of the gripes with voice recognition, of course, was always its uh, inaccuracy. Mm-hmm. So in 2017, though, they've got it down so that voice recognition is now so sophisticated that errors are down to about 5.1%, which mm-hmm. matches the error rate of human transcribers. Wow. What else in technology have you got? Well, security is a big issue. You know about the recent Equifax? No. Where there are millions and millions of people that their information was stolen and you've heard about it from other companies, if sure. not Equifax. Happens every year. Yeah, it's what they call the Equifax breach. It stoked uh, fears about privacy and security of personal data because even massive trusted companies and more products designed to keep consumers safe have flooded the market at the same time. Mm-hmm. And in an age where uh, cloud storage, more consumer data, and more points of technological vulnerability exist, consumers and engineers are doing whatever they can to make this safer. But it's opened up another gate. Yeah. Huh. 
And does that relate at all to this whole recent development of net neutrality being deregulated? Well, net neutrality is an interesting one because that points to the control of information. In other words, they're suggesting now that the people that provide you the internet service, uh, what they're trying to do is prevent them from controlling what information you're actually allowed to access or what information is transmitted to you. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's another, uh, for some people, again, it's that, you know, big brother edging in. Yeah. But from my point of view on, the, on sort of the cultural side of things, the two key words of the year, if you think about it, mm-hmm. are feminism yeah. and fascism. On the feminism side, you had the women's marches in January of this year mm-hmm. after the inauguration of Donald Trump as president of the United States. Mm-hmm. You had the Me Too movement the Harvey Weinstein revelations and followed by many other uh, Margaret Atwood's re kind of emergence in the spotlight as an author with her books, Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale and Alias Grace uh, becoming hits and winning Emmys and all kinds of other stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So feminism is a big one this year. Uh, The fascism side, (laughs) you can sum up in seven dirty words, diversity, fetus, transgender, vulnerable, entitlement, science-based, and evidence-based. Now relate them back to the fascism. Well, seven dirty words. Those are the words that the Trump administration has warned against the health department in the United States from using in any future budget requests and papers. Incredible. So those words, I mean, we can say that they've been banned, but basically the wording is they've been severely warned against using them because they're loaded, apparently. They're hot-button words. Imagine mm. that. The word vulnerable is a hot-button word. Yeah, it's, it's, right? To me, it's borderline ridiculous what things are coming to in terms of did they even suggest these things and, and did people even take it half seriously to me as a problem? Well, it's 1984. War is peace. Peace is war. Fake news, alternative facts, those are two of the big buzz phrases of the year. And that relates to what the seven dirty words here. You just change the language if you want to change the reality. So you make you, it up. Don't you find, though, it's interesting to me, you said fascism and feminism, the two Fs, but two Fs in virtual opposition. I mean, it's almost like one is rising to combat the other in unison. Yeah. Yeah, it is interesting that so with the rise of fascism in the United States, women have stood up and said no in different ways to it. Where are the men? Where are the men who stood up and done this? We don't see it as much. So feminism is, I think, the word of the year, and fascism is a close second for sure. I think we need more women in power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I say more women in power, I'm not suggesting any woman just for the sake of balancing male and female genders. And I'm talking about women who are capable and bring to the table another side of humanity, which typically, not always, but typically many males do not display. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a good example is what you just talked about, those seven words and the fascist side, which are predominantly, if not completely, male created. Mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Male white privilege is, <laughs> is uh, really uh, sticking out like a sore thumb mm-hmm. this year. And the balloon is being pricked on many sides. Mm-hmm. So when Weinstein is sacked and all these other men in power are being called out and sacked, 
their films being taken off the networks, etc. It shows you the power of the feminist viewpoint when it is actually appropriately used. Yes, and not only that, it's the balance that we need. It's becoming, for me anyway, it's increasingly clear mm-hmm. that we need the other side to be propped up. And it's not just women, it's minorities too. Yeah, absolutely. So what else on the technological side? Machine learning. Uh-huh. And apparently it's made massive progress in 2017 in many directions. For example, I don't know if you know about Google's AlphaGo program which was able to beat one of the best human goal players in the world. Oh, yes. And not only that, but their chess equivalent computer, uh-huh. I forget, Alpha something, trashed the best chess computers in the world, uh, Stockfish being maybe at the top. It, it played Stockfish in a match and uh-huh. it whipped its butt. Maybe this goes in line with this other statement, which was that the same team that created that AlphaGo program, apparently created an even better algorithm. It was called AlphaGo Zero, which was able to master the game of Go using no historical data and nothing but test games against itself. Yeah, and same with chess. It took apparently took it like 15 minutes or something right. to master all of the chess games that have ever been played and to be able to play and beat the best other chess programs. Really fascinating. So quantum leaps in computing power and applications is really amazing. And you know, Harry, this prevalent technology is becoming very common in all forms of tech, from search engines to customer service platforms. Mm -hmm. So it's been a real uh, revolutionary year for machine learning. 2017 has. Very interesting. Let's continue in the art side. Gord Downey. Gord Downey. In Canada. Tragically hip, yeah. And that was a shock too. We're talking shock culture in a way. When he announced his illness, that was a shock to the system. And then he dies and people are shocked. Maybe they shouldn't have been. But it's always a shock, even when somebody announces it. Same with Stuart McLean, who passed away this year too, right? Mm -hmm. He had announced it. People were shocked. And then he dies and people are shocked again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. But these are two icons, really, in Canada who passed away this past Well, let's talk about that for a second. Why the double shock? Did you feel that way? I mean, when I heard about uh, Downing, the fact that I knew he was already on that road, I was just sad. I don't think I was shocked. I think it's more because we just have a hard time accepting death generally. It happens everywhere around us and all over the world every day. And yet the fact is we have a hard time with it because we know that we're going to be there at some point. And to think that somebody who is 10 years younger than I am or Mm -hmm. 15 years is already gone. To me, a lot of the shock and aftershocks, what I call aftershocks, Mm. it's been created by this preponderance of texting, messaging, uh, social media, Facebook, something that is commonplace. And we're trying to make it into something sensationalistic. Like yeah. People have died for centuries, famous people at the oddest times under the weirdest circumstances. But now we suddenly elevate this to prime news. It's almost like a distraction, it's like keeping us off what we really should be attending to. You want to mourn the losses and so on and so forth. But why is it so different? Why is it taking on this level that, that 
is way beyond what it used to be. Yeah, well, because we live in celebrity culture, really, right. right? So we hear about celebrities passing away. Like this year, we lost uh, Mary Tyler Moore passed away. We lost Tom Petty, Jerry Lewis yes. uh, died, Jim Neighbors, many, many sort of celebrity icons whom we grew up with uh, passed away. Johnny Bauer, yeah, right? That, that, One of my yeah. favorite hockey players right. when he was playing for the Toronto Maple Leafs in goal, people mm. didn't know how old he was. They, they were speculating that he was in his 50s when he was playing for Toronto, but a celebrity. And so we've become a celebrity society, and yet the shock value is always there. I understand it, and it also makes you very aware of your own mortality because these people that we grew up with are suddenly disappearing in numbers. And so you're becoming mathematically aware of your own position, regardless of your state of health and so on. Yeah. The part that I find bothersome is you give so much attention to one or two or three individuals who basically are just human beings like you and I and so many others. And then there are tens of thousands of children and people that die needlessly every day. And we yeah. don't even give them two minutes. Right. I've kind of made it a state of my own mind not to get onto that bandwagon. So I take these things in stride. I'm sorry for people's losses, but I'm not going to raise it to a level of importance that mm -hmm. to me is not balanced yeah. in terms of how we view the entire planet and the yeah. entire human race. Yeah, I think, though, this whole thing about fake news and alternative facts kind of shakes the reality from under our feet often. And we're swimming around in what could be reality or might not be. And death is one thing that is certainly very real, mm -hmm. and which is why it's a shock in a way, because most of us are swimming around in a world that is not very real. And a death, even a celebrity death, brings it home uh, yes. to who we are as human beings. We're mortal. We're mortal. And that's the way it is. You we know? certainly don't act like we're mortal sometimes, though, do we? <laughs> we do not. We do not. That's absolutely mm -hmm. true. The other thing, too, that happened in the arts this year that was interesting happened after Charlottesville, that mm -hmm. whole episode of the right wing marching, white supremacist marching, right. and that whole thing, that young woman passed, died in the process. Mm -hmm. Following that, there was a lot of talk about Confederate statues in the yes. United States that had been built decades and decades ago to honor Confederate soldiers and generals, etc., many of whom were racists. You know? Yes. And so, and one of them, I think Robert E. Lee was pulled down in one of the states in the U.S., and there was a lot of talk about that. So art as political statement, art as ideological statement or propaganda kind of reared its head again. Mm -hmm. in that dialogue, which I thought was kind of interesting. What you're suggesting is that you're turning sculptures into political chess pieces? Yeah, in a way. It's an ideological battle that reflects the political battle in the country, in the U.S. right now. So now it goes into the world of art, and that battle carries on there as well. Mm -hmm. It's kind of interesting. The other thing in the arts that was interesting was they discovered a, a, another da Vinci painting, Mm -hmm. which they think is a da Vinci painting. There's a lot of speculation as to whether it really is or not. It went up for auction and it sold for the highest value of any painting in the history. Do you remember what the dollar figure was? Yeah, I do. It's $450 million. Jesus. For a painting that may or may not be a da Vinci. <laughs> $450 million for a painting. Isn't that incredible? As much as I appreciate diamonds, jewelry, fine art, it's a level of ridiculousness for me personally. 
Yeah. $450 million for a painting. Mm-hmm. Uh, where are we going? <laughs> well, you're right. It should make us think about where we're going and what, our, what we value. We've had these discussions about value before. And something like that should make us think, like, what do we value? What is real? Because that painting, it could be just another alternative fact. It could be fake news. It could be a forgery. I'm not trying to suggest that one shouldn't pay a large sum for something that they value. I get that. Mm-hmm. What I don't understand is how much we put on, like $450 million when people are starving to death or don't have a roof over their head, to me is ludicrous. Yeah. Well, I agree. And, you know, when you think about these organizations that are out there as kind of white knights in the world of the arts, organizations like Amnesty International, Penn International, fighting for the rights of writers who have been incarcerated in oppressive countries for speaking the truth. I think it goes along, too, with the diminishment of respect for reporters and journalism generally. Social media has in many ways taken over what the journalist does. And for example, you know, this morning, in preparation for this uh, podcast, I went onto Facebook and Mm -hmm. I put out the question in 2017, what is the story of the year for you? Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? And I realized by doing that, that I was doing what a journalist does, goes out, asks these questions of people, writes up a story and Mm -hmm. presents it as here's the top, you know, 10 stories of the year. So that's what a journalist does. And I was being a journalist in that respect. When you think about this year, too, and the ascendancy of Trump, climate change itself has taken a beating in a way, has Mm -hmm. been diminished and knocked down as a primary issue for the United States. And if it's knocked down in the United States, that has repercussions for around the world. The UN didn't seem to buckle under to his particular threat. His right. threat being that if you abide by this or you vote for this, that you're not going to have our support economically. Yeah. Well, you know, he'll just call them names. That's the other thing that happened this year. You think about shock culture, the shock of hearing a sitting president, a leader of a country, call another leader of another country rocket man. I know. Where is that coming from? That's a shock. You never hear that. But to me, the word shock in itself is like an exaggerated social type of response. You're sitting in a room with a bunch of people Mm -hmm. and someone says something and the immediate response is, oh, my God. (laughs) OMG. And I'm thinking to myself, well, I might have said, uh, hmm, that's not very nice or... Where do you get, oh, my God, out of that? Uh, If you think that's bad, I'm just amazed at what we respond to. I really am. I'm I'm sorry. I'm getting a little pet peeve of mine. Yeah, I know. Um, The level of response we have to things that in terms of their relative importance, are you more concerned about somebody's hair than the fact that uh, there are 25 people freezing to death tonight. It's childlike. Well, that goes along with that that word that I raised in many podcasts ago, which is neoteny, making us all into little children who are easily shocked and awed. Shock and awe. (laughs) Remember that little phrase from Mr. Bush? Shock and awe? Well, this has been a year of shock and awe, for sure. What are we focusing on? Yeah, but you have to say, and you have to agree, that the ascendancy of the smartphone 
as the technological instrument mm-hmm. of day-to-day living. It really happened this year powerfully, oh, wouldn't you? yes. I mean, it's been going on for 10 years since 2007. But of course, as you mentioned, the levels are increasing exponentially. Because the thing with the smartphone is not only the technology, it has now basically taken over computers. The mobility aspect of the smartphone is really what is creating much of what we are experiencing. It's not just the technology. It's the fact that it's in your pocket. Yeah. And so now the target of all companies, of all content providers, of all content creators targeting mobile media, because that's the preponderance. Even poor people, they don't have a computer, but even the poorest people in India are carrying some form of smartphone. Mm-hmm. So that's where the focus is. But again, the technology is wonderful. But if, instead of accessing 20 different ways that your cat takes water out of your toilet bowl, uh, <laughs> if instead you focused on what's happening in the world, what can we do to make things better? Here's some information that will be helpful. Stop buying so much stuff. Start focusing on your children's health, on these companies that put sugar in every product. Amen. It's just this mindless Kind of, it's the pent ultimate shepherd and sheep. And the sheep seem to be increasing. Well, as phones get smarter, the population gets dumber. It seems that seems to be the trajectory. But we can change that. Why do people feel so helpless? Why do they feel they can't make a difference? The issue is that you are creating millions and millions of people who feel powerless to change anything. But worse than that, I think... It's the selfishness that's being created. Mm-hmm. It's the focus on my space, on my things. You lower my taxes, I'm voting for you. It doesn't matter if it hurts 500 other people. Right. But anyway, that's my rant the, for the day. Yeah, the ascendancy of greed and selfishness yeah, and all that. I do it too. I know I'm probably pontificating here. I don't mean to, but I probably am. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I'm not above it. It just seems excessive to me, that's all. Yeah, I agree. But the whole point of shock culture really is that phrase implies that the population is asleep in many ways. Yes. And needs to be shocked. Yes. Awake. And that may be true. And maybe that's why there is such a preponderance of shock culture this last year. For 2018, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that there will be a new party enter the world of politics. Mm. But it won't be a political party. It won't be an ideological party. It will be a party of artists with artistic temperaments, party that speaks truth, recognizes beauty as beauty, and relies on elders for their wisdom, really pulls from elders and youth, and puts forward agendas that are compassionate and that are enlightened in relation to what we've been given now, which is just a lot of ideological pap, really, Mm -hmm. and neotenizing statements and banning of words and that kind of thing. I'm hoping that we'll have an enlightened new kind of political party emerge in 2018, which begins to challenge the status quo in all kinds of ways. A party that considers the welfare of a community, not just individuals. Correct. And is not left, right, or center ideologically, but works with solutions that are appropriate to the particular problems that we have. 
So some problems might need a more right-wingish approach, and some might need a more left-wingish approach. And this party would be flexible enough to work in any direction to get at the truth and to get at the right way of solving the problem. I agree with you, but I would suggest to you that it would have a similar stumbling block to most things that have that ideology. And that is, where do you differentiate the politics or the thinking from the economic model? So the resistance to a lot of that would be primarily profit-based. If you're talking about ideas that aren't going to benefit certain people or certain organizations financially, it's going to be a lot harder to implement. We have to change the way we think, I think, Look, at nobody thought communism would happen until it did. It came out of a revolution. Mm-hmm. So things can change. But they may not change uh, softly. They no, may no. Not, they may not change in an easy manner. They, there may, there may be a revolution required. Absolutely. I think there will be a revolution required, and it will be another major shock to the system, and we'll survive and carry on into the future as we always have. There must be some kind of way out of here. Happy New Year, everyone. The Sill Podcast, Perspectives on Art and Technology, is a Connecting Dots Media production. Available at ConnectingDotsMedia.com.